Good morning again, TBC Saints. Do you believe in Christ we can stand together in unity despite our differences? We can sing it. It's easy to sing it, but it's a lot harder to believe it and live it out. If you have your Bible, please open it to Acts chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. I had a goal of making this one sermon, but it will be a two-part sermon. So there you go. Acts 2, 42 through 47. Human beings have a, we are relational creatures who have the ability to bond with each other. These bonds with other people are simply relationships. And each of us here this morning, we we have bonds with other people in our life. It could be childhood friends. It could be high school friends, college friends, uh, relatives, uh, teammates, uh, uh, military comrades, co-workers, um, book club friends, social causes friends, political friends, sports friends, your adult breveless drinking friends. So we have these bonds with other people in our life. And our ties to these people can bind us to them in genuine relationships that aren't easily broken. I came across a quote this week that says, the ties that that bind us are sometimes impossible to explain. They connect us. Even after it seems like the ties should be broken, some bonds defy distance, time, and logic. Because some bonds are simply meant to be. I like that. Some ties and bonds are simply meant to be. And there's no place where those words should be truer than within the body of Christ. Within the church. For the ties that binds the church together does defy time, distance, and logic. These ties are all centered in one person, and that is Jesus Christ. And he is the one who binds his body together in such a way that they can do life together in healthy ways. We want to be and become a church that don't just talk about doing life together, but who actually does it. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we continue in the the This Is Us sermon series. We, we don't want to just talk a good game about doing life together. We want to actually and functionally live it out. We want to be moving and growing into a church that does life together in healthy ways. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, they give us one snapshot of what it can look like for us to do life together. Here's God's word to, to his people. Acts 2, beginning in verse 42. And the people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and sharing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, Breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. 
This is God's word. Please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, uh, I pray to you again and, and ask that you will come, that you will come and, and give us understanding. Come and, and guide our time as we open up the scriptures today, that you will guide our hearts and minds, that you will lead us into all truth. For you are our counselor. You are our helper. And we do not understand the word of God apart from you. We cannot apply the word of God apart from you. So Holy Spirit, come today and move in this place for our good and for Jesus' glory. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. I follow a young man on, on Twitter named uh, Philip Holmes. He preached here once before, uh, years ago. And recently, Philip wrote a blog post titled, Three Tips for New Facebook Group Admins. Three Tips for New Facebook Admins. He says, Facebook, Facebook group has over one million users. And Facebook groups are so powerful because they are built to bring together people with common interests and ideas. So he offers three tips on how to create a healthy Facebook group page. He says you must clarify your purpose, you must invite people who add value, and you must state the rules from the start. So what is he doing here? He is showing you that healthiness doesn't just happen by mistake. Okay? Healthiness doesn't happen by accident. It's not a ditch that people simply fall into. And that's not just true on social media and in a Facebook group. It's also true in the face-to-face groups you have with other people, in the face-to-face interactions you have with other human beings. Healthiness happens by intent. It happens with focus, with commitment, with time, with prayer, with devotion. Healthiness is what we're going to see among the people gathered in Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. The people in these verses are brought together by one common interest. One common interest. And we can't overlook this. We can't miss it. For I mean, It's pointless to talk about what is taking place in these verses without first clarifying the reason why these people are together in the first place. Why are they together? The reason is important. It's indispensable. They share one common and central common interest. And it's not sports. It's not Alabama football or Georgia football. It's not a social cause, it's not a political agenda, it's not for financial gain, it's not materialistic, it's not tribalism, it's a person. It's Jesus. He's the common interest that they share. He's the reason that they are gathered together. He's the center, he's the cornerstone, he's the foundation, he's the glue, he's the purpose, he's the value, he's the rule. And each of these people in this group have faith in him. Without Jesus, none of these things would be taking place in these verses. If they didn't know Jesus in faith, they would not be gathered together doing these things in these verses. So in Christ, they are committed to doing life together. In Christ, they're committed to doing this. So they believe in him. They trust him. These people are believers. They're Christians. And everything that takes place in these verses naturally overflows from their relationship with Christ. All their intent, 
All their commitment, time, and devotion comes from Jesus. It comes from their faith. In Christ, they're committed to doing life together. He's their motivation. And he's our motivation for the same things. But do we actually believe it? Many of you here know the gospel. You know the gospel through and through. You know it like the backside of your hand. You know Christ came on this earth to to die in our place for our sins. You know that his life and his death and his resurrection makes it possible for sinful people to be made right with a holy God. You know these things. You know this. You know that in him we have forgiveness of sins. You know that in him we are reconciled to the Father. We know that in him we are adopted into God's family. And some of you know this. You believe this. You, you have seven faith in Christ. But tell me, has your faith made any difference in how you relate to other believers? Has it made any difference in how you relate to the brother and sister that sits next to you every Sunday in our congregation? Now, for those of you who don't know Christ, then today is your blessed day. Because you can come to him. Right now, at this moment, Acts 4.12 says, There is no salvation in no one else. There is no name given under heaven by which man must be saved. No other name given by which we can be saved and be made right with the Father other than Jesus Christ. So you, how do you be saved? How can you be forgiven? Confess your need of Jesus. Confess you're a sinner to Jesus and repent of it, and turn to him. Turn to him. But what does that mean, Pastor? It means you must believe and trust in Jesus. Surrender to him and rest upon him alone for your salvation. And when that happens, you belong to him. And when that also happens, please know, it ain't just going to be you, Jesus, and your blood family. Okay? Because he brings you into his church. He brings you into his body. He unites you with other believers once you receive him as saving faith. He doesn't redeem you and place you on the island. He redeems you and places you in the body. Okay? He redeems you and places you in the body. He adopts you into God's family, into his church. And all believers now share one common interest, and that is our faith in Jesus Christ. He's at the center. He's at the center. And guess what overflows from that faith? It's a desire to be with his people. His people. It's a desire to gather with his people, to be around them, to connect with them, to do life with them in healthy ways. Love for Jesus naturally leads to a love for other believers. Even those believers who look differently than you and think differently than you. And if we don't understand that, there's a lot about Jesus that we really don't understand. Because I can't say I love Jesus and not love my brother or my sister in the faith. Remember the quote that I read earlier. The ties that bind us are sometimes impossible to explain. They connect us even after it seems like the ties should be broken. Some bonds defy time and distance and logic. Because some ties are simply meant to be. The finished work of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection are the ties that binds us together as believers. 
And that defied time, distance, and logic. They bound us together in this local body. They connect us deeply. They allow us to do life together. Is our faith in Jesus Christ leading us to a devotion to do life with one another in healthy ways? Look at your life and tell me who's who in it. Who are you doing life with within our local church? Well, you ain't going to do life with everybody. But we need to be doing life with somebody. And they need to be doing life with you. The believers in our text, they naturally gravitated towards one another. And, and you, when you read narratives, you know, narratives that Luke is telling us what happened. He's telling us what has taken place in the early stages of the church. And what you see is they, they, they're together without, without being guilted into it without being shamed into it, without a program, without a ministry moment, or without a flock note, okay? <laughs> they desire to be together. It's an overflow from their new faith in Christ. And that's what we sense when we read these verses. He's showing that this, or, this is organically taking place in the life of this early church. And what he is describing for us, it serves as a purpose for us as an example that we can glean from. It's history, but we can learn from it. We can apply what they're doing into the life of, of in our church in 2018. As I said earlier, it's a snapshot of what believers can do and how they can do life together. That they, he shows us that they are doing life in, together in two places. That is worship and community. They are doing life together in two places. Worship and community. Verse 42 and 43, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Their devotion means to hold fast. They continue steadily. It's steadfastness. It's perseverance. That's what that term means. And think about that. Take that to heart. What comes to mind when you hear words like devotion and perseverance and steadfastness, something should come to mind. Something, something should come to mind. Because doing life together won't be, be without conflict. Okay? It won't be easy. It won't be without difficulty. It won't be without hurt feelings. It won't be without hurt feelings. It won't be without misunderstanding one another. It won't be without tensions, cultural, political, generational, social, racial. Doing life together won't be without sinning against one another. We must embrace this. We must accept this. Do not place the village church on a pedestal that it cannot stand on. If you think we're going to be a church in which we don't ever hurt each other's feelings, then you set yourself up for, for a lot of disappointment. Because... It will happen. We're not perfect, and we're never going to be a perfect church. But we're praying and striving to be a cross-cultural, multi-ethnic church, a melting pot of, of people coming from different races and backgrounds and, and cultures and political views and economic statuses. And I'm telling you, it's going to take a whole lot of devotion and perseverance and steadfastness in order for us to do life together. You think bringing us together in a melting pot it's going to be easy? It's not easy. 
We need perseverance. We need the, the steadfastness. We're going to need devotion to one another. It's going to take those things that come from a growing relationship with Jesus. He, our faith in him gives us this devotion. It gives us steadfastness. It gives us perseverance. Without those things, without him doing those things in us, we will church hop. And we'll leave here when difficulty arises or when we don't get what we want. Okay? A church like this, everybody gives up something to be part of it. It ain't going to be like the church you left. We're different. We're building something different. And if we ain't willing to lay things down, we're going to leave when we don't get what we want. When we get our feelings hurt. Gimli from the Fellowship of the Rings, he says, Faithless is he that says farewell when the road darkens. Faithless is he who says farewell when the road darkens. I've been in church long enough to know that the road often darkens. And when it does, it takes devotion, perseverance, and steadfastness to get us through it. To get us through it. And what does that look like in in a church like this? It looks like this keeping short accounts with one another. Please keep short accounts with me. If I say something that offends you, if I say something in the sermon that you don't understand, don't have a parking lot conversation about it. Love me enough and come to me because I'm going to come to you. Or I have Cynthia email you. <laughs> That's a joke. Now some of you are going to be freaking out on Monday. <laughs> it takes repentance. It takes reconciliation. Confession, restoration, forgiveness, being open to correction. It takes valuing people over being right. Valuing people over being right. That's what it would look like in a church like this to be devoted and have perseverance and steadfastness in this church. Even in the early church in Acts 2 here, these brothers and sisters in these verses, they're going to need the same devotion, the same perseverance, the same steadfastness that faith produces in order for them to do life together. We, have a, we can have a tendency to idolize the local church, but they have issues just like us. We're just in the early stages of it. Why do you think Paul wrote all those letters? Did he write it because they did everything right? Man, he, wrote, he was dealing with issues. Because when you get a group of people together, stuff's going to come out. The issue is can we deal with it in a healthy way? Can we deal with it in a healthy way? Church is, church is often like marriage. It is. When difficulties arise in your marriage, do you leave or do you deal with it and work through it? You, you deal with it and work through it. And that same type of mentality has to be within the church. Deal with it and work through it in a way that honors Christ. It, that, that, that makes him more beautiful when we deal with it in a healthy way way. These believers, they, they're, they're devoting themselves to corporate worship. They're holding fast to, to worshiping together. Verse 46 says they attend the temple together day by day. They attend the temple together day by day. And Luke is describing for us that they have a continued devotion to corporate worship. They persevere in it. They're steadfast in it. 
And corporate worship is different from individual worship. Corporate worship is when the saints gather together to worship their God as a body. This is corporate worship. And when the saints of God come together and they worship him with one voice in unity. And attending corporate worship together is a practical way that we can do life together in healthy ways. How do you feel about worshiping with God's people? How do you feel about it? Is it joy? Is it gladness? Is it frustration? How do you treat corporate worship? Is it a checkbox? Is it just tradition? Or is it just to appease your parents? Is it a high priority, low priority? It should be joyful. It should be part of our life. It should be in our family calendar. And hey, we are worshiping creatures. We are. And in fact, thousands of people will assemble later today in U.S. Bank Stadium in Minnesota. And millions more will gather around their television. Corporate worship will go down today. <laughs> doing Super Bowl 52. People are going to shout. People are going to sing. People are going to dance. People are going to praise. And some people are going to pray. <laughs> it may be Philadelphia. And that same fire, that same passion, that same excitement and joy that we're going to witness from NFL fans, we should have when we gather in corporate worship to worship the God of gods. That same fire. The same passion we should have. Psalm 122, 1 and 2 says, I was glad when they said to me, Let's go to the house of the Lord. I was glad. Our feet have been standing within the gates, O Jerusalem. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm thinking about. Are we glad when we come to worship with other believers? Are we happy to be in the house of our Lord? Are we happy? Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us consider how we can stir one another along towards love and good works, not forsaking the meeting together as is, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Make it a habit not to give up meeting together. Persevere in doing life together by attending corporate worship. Make it a priority. Devote ourselves to being present. Remember, love for Jesus always leads to love for his people. And that involves being with them in corporate worship. When we gather for corporate worship, there, there are certain elements that, that, that needs to be present. And, and we see this in these verses. Like I said, this is narrative, but some of the things that Luke is, is showing us here, we can also implement in our church as well, particularly the elements that we see him talking about. So these elements were present in the early church. These believers, they continued to persevere in the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, and the prayers, and the fellowship. What does this mean? What, what, what does these words mean? The, the, the apostles' teachings is the teachings that the apostles received from Christ himself. There is a testimony of Jesus of Nazareth, his life and his death and his resurrection. Luke 24, beginning in verse 44. 44, it says, Jesus said to them, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ will suffer 
And on the third day, raised from the dead, that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning with Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And that is part of the teaching of the apostles, the gospel. That's what they're teaching these early believers. In Acts 44, verse 33, it says, With great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The believers devoted themselves to sound teaching, sound preaching, sound doctrine. They, they weren't devoted to just anything. They were devoted to the teaching of the apostles, the ones that were witness to the resurrected Jesus. And that also means they submitted to their role in the life of the church. They received them as their leaders. They sat under their leadership. For Christ commissioned these men to undertake this ministry. And for these men, that included working miracles and signs, where they healed a lot of people throughout the books of Acts. Throughout the book of Acts. As verse 43 says, all care upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And so, doing life together by participating in corporate worship, it involves a devotion to sound teaching and preaching and doctrine as believers. That all of us must be committed to those things. It involves a submission to officers and elders that God had placed in the church in order to edify the church. The whole body does this. And what does this mean for us in, in our particular little church? Now, we have Sunday equipment classes each week. And these classes offer another way for you to, to sit on a sound teaching to edify you spiritually. And I challenge you, if you, if you have not been a part of to to plan to be a part of one of these uh, classes do, throughout the year, they will edify you. It will. The second element present in corporate worship in the early church is the breaking of bread. And, and, and this is communion. That's what Luke is talking about here. That's the breaking of bread. It's a reference to the Lord's Supper. It was instituted by Christ himself during the Last Supper with his disciples. And he says in Mark 14, 22, well, I think I deleted it. Oh, here we go. As they were breaking bread together, after blessing it and broke it, he gave it to them. He says, this is my body. And this is my, and, and, take, and, took, and he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drunk from it. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until I drink with you, until I drink it new in the kingdom of God with you. So this is communion taking place. And the early church did this. And what does communion is? What does it mean? It proclaims the Lord's death. It's done in remembrance of him. And the juice and the bread, they don't become Christ's body of blood, okay? And we don't, we're not physically drink, eating his body. Christ's presence in communion is completely spiritual. And the Lord's table, whenever we do the Lord's table once a month, that meal is for your spiritual nourishment. It's to strengthen you in your union with Christ. It's not just something we simply do as a ritual. It's for your benefit. It's for your spiritual nourishment. And every church who is a church of Christ should be serving the Lord's table. It is an important part of our worship. And every believer can partake of that meal. Now Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he, 
He gives a warning. He says, therefore, who eats the bread and drink the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of concerning the body and blood of Christ. So we must examine ourselves each time we come before the Lord's table. We must examine ourselves before we receive the elements. And finally, the third element in corporate worship is prayer. Luke calls it the prayers. Doing life in corporate worship in healthy ways will lead to corporate prayer. And I preached on this a few weeks ago. I preached on this a few weeks ago. And I said Christian prayer is directed to God in a spirit of humility. It's not a display of our pride and, and our glory, but it's a display of our, display of our humility and dependency upon our Father. And when, he, and when we pray, he hears those prayers. I don't know if you believe this, but when Christians gather to pray, I believe something supernatural is taking place. I believe that. I believe it. That when, we're, when we gather and we're offering the prayers and we're interceding for one another, we're praying for our country, we're praying for our leaders, we're praying for loved ones, we're praying for unbelievers, I believe something special is taking place. That God hears those prayers and it makes a difference. But do you believe it makes a difference? Do you believe it? Are you praying with other believers within our body regularly? If not, I encourage you, seek it out. Seek it out. Be intentional. Pray with and for one another. So doing a life in corporate worship involves three things. Prayer, communion, and the preaching and teaching of the word. When I was uh, attending the church in Greenville, South Carolina, my, my, some, I go through seasons where my attendance, is, my attendance and worship was good, and I go through the season when it was not good. I mean, it was like this. And after a few Sundays of missing, a good friend of mine called me up and said, Alex, I miss you. I was like, mm-hmm. okay. And he says, well, when you're not there, no one else can take your place within the body. No one else can take your place within our body. So when you're not there, you're missed. And that ministered to me. And I offer that same thing to you. When you're not here, no one else can take your place. You are missed. Because you have a place within the life and body of this church. And when we're not present, we are missed. I miss you. And so I offer that same encouragement to you to know that God, if you're here, God has called you to be here. And we are family. In the good times and the bad times. And we are family in Christ. And next week we'll, we'll finish out what it means to do life together in community. But just for this purpose, when it comes to worship, just know when we gather corporately to worship our God, it's a beautiful thing. And we have a, we have a privilege of doing it because we are not persecuted for doing it. And so we are blessed to be here in, in our country where we can have the freedom to do this. I have the freedom to preach God's word to you. Without fear of losing my life, other brothers and sisters don't have that freedom. There are three pastors now that are going to be on trial in Iran for, for doing what I'm doing. They are on trial for preaching the gospel. And if they are convicted, you know what that means for them, death. And so we should pray for these three pastors. Um, please pray for them because their life are on the line. And so as we think about that, if we think about it in the grand scheme of things, why not be part of it? Why not connect? Why not join with one another? Because if the if if times does get dark, this is going to be what gets you through. 
When all else fails, it's your brothers and sisters in Christ that's going to do life with you and help you get through the dark times. So be joined together with one another. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that it's because of you that we can we are a 